Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. We better try that again. Good morning. Have you ever thought you knew the whole story, but later found out that you were totally wrong about the opinions that you held, the viewpoints that you held? Many, many times we have pieces of the story. We have pieces. But we don't always have the whole story. Yet even when we have just pieces, we like to form very, very, very strong opinions. And that's not good because we can jump to wrong conclusions. Certain that we know the truth. Certain that we've got it right. When in reality we don't. And this sort of arrogance on our behalf leads to tragedy. It leads to tragedy. And I'll give you an example. There's an old Welsh fable of a dog that belonged to someone called Llewellyn the Great, a prince of Gwynedd in the 13th century. Now, the prince's wife had passed away. And the prince liked to hunt. And so on those nights when he would go hunting, he would task his faithful dog with watching over the cradle of his child. And after one particular hunting trip, he came home to find the cradle turned over, the child gone, and blood caked all over the dog's mouth. And he was livid. The prince plunged his sword into the dog, certain absolutely certain that it was the culprit, that it had killed his baby. But the dog's yelp, dying yelp, gave way to another sound, a child's cry. And Prince Llewellyn followed that sound and found the baby unharmed and laying near the dead body of a ravenous wolf. The prince's faithful dog had done exactly what he was tasked to do. He had protected the child, saved its life, delivered the child from certain death. The prince thought that he knew what had happened. But he was filled with such remorse over his decision that it was said that he never smiled again. Tragedy. In today's Gospel reading, Jesus comes to his hometown of Nazareth, where he was brought up. Wasn't born there, but was brought up there. And even though Nazareth was a backwater town, they had pieces of the story about Jesus. They had pieces. They had heard what he had done in Capernaum. Right? We heard that in the Gospel reading. Now, we don't know exactly what that is. Our text doesn't say But it seems to indicate, it seems to indicate that Jesus did some miraculous things there. And so they were eager, the people from his hometown were eager to see what Jesus would do. So when Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom, right? Jesus always goes to church. And he stood up to read. Everybody was eager to hear what would happen next. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled it. 
and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus gave them another piece of the story. You know these promises that are written in Isaiah 61? They're about me. All the eyes of the synagogue were fixed upon him when he shared that news. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What good news. What wondrous words. What a memorable moment for these individuals who were there at church that day. Yet what did the people who heard these words, what did they think that the Scriptures meant in Isaiah 61? Would God would appoint someone to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed. Surely, and the text suggests this as well, God would work this deliverance against the Gentiles. Deliver Israel, God's people, against those oppressors, those horrible Gentiles. After all, the history of God's people, especially under the judges, right? Those mighty military people. They're not judges like you think about it. And kings included God's deliverance from foreign oppressors. God had used other nations to punish Israel, to bring them back to repentance. And we think of captivity under the Assyrians, under the Babylonians, even under the Persians, even though they came back, and certainly under the Greco-Roman Empire. But if you look at the context of Isaiah 61, the end of the book that declares and pictures the future glory of Israel and its restoration... God points to the real problem in chapter 59. And here's the real problem. Even God's people, especially God's people, find themselves enmeshed by, overrun by, captive to sin and death. I want to read you from chapter 59, and it serves as an indictment as an indictment of God's people. Verses 1-4, to Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief, give birth to iniquity. And their feet run to evil. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. And it goes on. When all Jesus gives to his hometown 
is God's word and it's a peace, the people turn on him. When all he will give them is words, they turn on him. Oh, sure, initially all spoke well of him. They marveled at his gracious words, at the words that were coming from his mouth. But then something occurred to them. Is this not Joseph's son? Because they did not have the whole story, they leapt to wrong conclusions, right? They know nothing of the virgin birth. They know nothing of Mary who conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. They know nothing of the angel and the angelic host that appeared to lowly shepherds. They know nothing of the angel who appeared to Joseph in a dream, telling Joseph to take Mary as his wife and to name his son Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. They know nothing about the Magi, and we can go on and go on and go on and add more and more and more pieces that fill in the story. Surprise, isn't this Joseph's son? We know this guy. Surprise and skepticism led the people to demand more from Jesus. That is what they're waiting for. Because Jesus tells them that's what they're waiting for. Surprise and skepticism comes like, all right, when are we going to get the proof? We got the words, when are we going to get the proof? And Jesus knew it. Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, what we heard you do in Capernaum, do here. Do it in, in front of us. Truly, truly, I tell you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And then he goes on to say and talk about times in history where God had delivered miraculous things to the Gentiles, but not to, Isra not to the Israelites. To the Gentiles, but not to the Israelites. So he gives two examples. I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon in the north, to a woman who was a widow. Many lepers in Israel in the times of the prophet Elisha, none of them were cleansed. No, only Naaman the Syrian. This is a surprise. What Jesus says. This is a surprise. Surprise! Not only is Isaiah 61 a promise about delivery and death for the people of Israel, and by that I mean we'll talk about uh, people, his Old Testament people, not only is Isaiah 61 a promise about delivery from death and sin for the people of Israel, Isaiah 61 is a promise, and Jesus' works in Capernaum prove it, is a promise of delivery of sin and death for the Gentiles too. Hey, we want you to do this, this work, deliver us from the Gentiles. You mean this promise is about and for the Gentiles too? The Gentiles were going to be included into Israel, and we could read Paul to get more into that. That's another sermon. 
And not only would Israel see God's promises and God's word, they would see God's mighty acts of power and healing and restoration. The Gentiles would see this. Gentiles, too, would be included in God's people and would come to know and believe in the one true God. Through Jesus Christ and his apostles, God would fill in the blanks. God would give his story of restoration and salvation through his son. And you know what? In Acts 1.8, Christ addresses his apostles. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right? Judea, Samaria, to all the ends of the earth. Fill in those blanks. Give people the story. Tell them what happened. Tell them who God is. Tell them what He has done. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 61 and He is the fulfillment of God's promises for everyone. And yes, for you. People of Nazareth did not like that. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. What about you? Angry with Jesus? Maybe you don't want to admit it. Are you disappointed that Jesus isn't here to deliver you from a harsh work environment, a difficult marriage, and any other human and woke oppression that you can dream of? You mean He's not here? Yes, He's here to restore all things. We can say that. But do you have the same reaction as the people of Nazareth when God won't work miraculously in your life to fix some of these things that we just talked about? Do you have the same reaction as the people of Nazareth when you discover that the real problem is you? When you discover that sin and death and its oppression and power over you is the real issue. Do you balk and want to just walk when you hear those words that you're full of evil, that you yourself are an oppressor? The problem with the world today is that people believe everything needs fixing except them. Everything needs fixing except me. That's why we need the Scriptures. They reveal to us the whole story. We are broken. We are dead in our sins. We are dead in our trespasses. And Jesus is here to deliver us from these powers. He is here to deliver you from their hold over you. The world doesn't want that message. We don't want that message. 
The people in Christ's hometown didn't want that message. The world wants to do away with this idea, with this truth. We're in the season of Epiphany now, and I think Epiphany gets a short shrift, right? We celebrate Advent and Christmas, and then we have Epiphany, and Epiphany kind of, nobody's excited about Epiphany. Woo, it's Epiphany, all right, Epiphany season, right? I'm filled with Epiphany cheer. But the interesting thing about Epiphany is that it gives us pieces to fill in the blanks. More and more pieces so that we can see clearly our real problem and the real solution. We will find the real problem is us. The real problem is me. And Jesus has come to set me free. He has come to set you free. It is through God's word that we truly see Isaiah 61 for the good news that it is. Good news for sinners. It is through Isaiah 61 and the power of the Holy Spirit that we see Jesus as the fulfillment of this promise. That God loved you so much that He sent Jesus to proclaim good news to the spiritually poor. Okay? To proclaim liberty to the captives who are captive to sin and death. Recovering of sight to the spiritually blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed by all Satan's dark powers. Jesus is here. Will you receive his message? He is here to proclaim to you the year of the Lord's favor found only in him unto everlasting life for you in him. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.